Hey, welcome to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martin. Today, I got my friend Bob Arnone on here. So he's a retired Army colonel. He's a longtime football official, a dedicated family man, and the owner of Get It Right, something that's changing the sport of football for the better in a big way. Bob, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, Joe. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to get into the Get It Right stuff. Uh, but for now, let's let's take it back. Where did you grow up and what, what were you into as a kid? Yeah, so I... Uh... I was born and raised in a little town called Frostburg, Maryland, out in the western part of the state. A uh, small town. It was probably about 6,000 people at the time. Uh, coal miners put the town on the map. Uh, in fact, when my grandfather came in from Italy, his first job was working in the mines there. Uh, Dad spent a little bit of time doing that, too. Uh, mining out there is not as, as big of a deal right now. But what's keeping the town on the map is uh, Frostburg State University. Uh, really inspirational story about how the miners all pulled together in a political fight uh, in the state of Maryland to ensure that a college was founded there. Uh, I mean, they were putting in nickels and dimes into a pot just to try to uh, keep that political fight alive um, because they valued education that much. Uh, a couple of years ago, the high school that I went to, just like a bunch of other high schools, unfortunately, uh, too small in the area, they all merged. Uh, so our local high school merged with a couple other schools in the area, and they're now called the Mountain Ridge Miners, kind of out of respect for uh, for the past there. Uh, my grandfather had opened a bar called the Billy Goat Inn. Nice story about how that happened to, to get that name. But it was on the main road going through Western Maryland. It was right next to our house. Uh, Dad, by the way, was a miner for a little while. He was the last one to escape a cave-in. And he would tell stories about running out of there and the timbers kind of falling down oh. behind him. So uh, he was able to get out safely. And that was his decision. Then maybe I ought to become a mailman. So uh, so we had the bar next door. Dad's out there as a mailman. Uh, in total, I was one of eight kids. Uh, I lost a baby sister when she was about 18 months old. Uh, my oldest brother is about six years older than me. Uh, then it's followed by another brother, older sister, all of them about a year apart. Four-year break, I show up. Three years later, another sister. Uh, then the twins. And my youngest brother is like 10 years younger than me. So I'm right there in the middle. Uh, we lived on what was called Big Savage Mountain. It was a couple miles outside of the city limits. So my early days were pretty much playing with siblings and cousins on a Sunday uh, stereotypical Norman Rockwell kind of stuff, at least for what perspective we had then. I'd go play in the woods, I'd go bike riding up around the mines. Uh, I developed a knack for jumping over stuff. So when I went out for track in high school, my freshman year, coach immediately made me a hurdler. Uh, I tried out for football. I wasn't consistent at catching one, but coach liked my speed and he made me a pulling guard. Uh, I had an appreciation for physics, so at 150 pounds and not a lot of mass, I depended on acceleration. So that force, mass, acceleration, hey, all that stuff works. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm in high school in the early 60s and early late 60s, early 70s. So driving up and down Main Street was a thing. Uh, myself and a good friend of mine who became my best man. We would go up to the top of the mountain. We would roll beer bottles down and all that kind of stuff. It was just, you know, that's what we did. Uh, but anytime I was really on the verge of doing something I shouldn't be doing, there'd be some adult or somebody come up to me going, hey, aren't you Jimmy's boy? So this whole thing, you know, dad knew everybody in town. I had three older siblings that paved the way. So everybody kind of knew who you were. So this whole thing about it takes a village kind of helped me keep me on the straight and narrow. Now, my grandfather would host some special events where we would all obviously chip in. He would have like two spaghetti dinners a year to try to raise some money. Uh, that involved the entire family to cook and handle other logistics. But the most memorable event was his annual turkey shoot prior to Thanksgiving. So for five bucks, you buy a little paper target. And when he would have like at least 10 of those targets sold, everybody would go out back uh, beer, shotgun, they'd shoot at their target, 
and whoever had the most pellets in the target, they'd win a they'd win a turkey. So not bad if you're a pretty good shot, can handle your beer, and you know you go home with with your Thanksgiving turkey. My job was to hide behind a tree, run out, tack that target onto a tree, and run back behind the tree again, listen for the shot, and run out there and replace the target. Beer, shotguns, competitive shooting. All right, that's that's what we did. Hey, I see how you got so fast then. I, I see where you developed that speed. You want to get in and out. That, that, that's it. So uh, my grandfather appreciated my speed too, so I, I kept the event going on. Uh, so and being part of a large family, uh, we were all expected to get a job. So in between football and track season, I would work at Super Shoes. During the season, I'd work at work it on the weekends. So I was probably the original Lyle Bundy, you know, high school football and selling shoes. So there you go. <laughs> oh man, you against Polk High was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So then uh Time came and uh, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, you know, so how did I decide to join the Army? Uh, so mom and dad were not high, were not college graduates, but they valued education. Uh, we went to a Catholic elementary school, uh, so the discipline and focus on education was consistent with what uh, my parents wanted. So probably the best military training I got was from the nuns there at the Catholic school. <laughs> they, 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 they were tight, so... Uh, now, the expectation was that we were going to go to college, especially since we had Frostburg State right there in our backyard. Academically, I, I, I did pretty well in high school. Uh, my GPA was, uh, was always pretty high. I was involved in sports, the band, a few other school activities. So I was one of those pretty good, well-rounded kids and stuff. I, I can't explain it, but there was something that really made me feel inside that, that grabbed my interest in the military. And at the time, the Air Force Academy had some really cool brochures. You got Colorado Springs, you got the mountains, you got all this kind of fancy stuff. You can fly. Okay, let me try that out. So, um, so I, I did apply. Uh, things were looking pretty good. Uh, but the closer I got to getting in, the more meetings and interviews and physicals and things like that I had to go through. And those were always happening in either Baltimore or Pittsburgh. So I would lose a full day of school and dad would miss a full day of work mm. while we're trying to raise, you know, eight kids, seven kids at the time on a, on a mailman's salary. Um, so Senator DeBell uh, was my sponsor. So he checked on me to see how things were going. Uh, he saw the progress I was making. So he said, okay, keep it up. And I'm like, well, you know, I might get accepted but I might not graduate. I, I'm missing full days of school and dad was missing all these full days of work. So it, it was really becoming a challenge. So he was receptive to that. And he said, well, you know, we don't have too many people applying for the Naval Academy that year. He's there. If I want to go there, no more meetings, no more interviews, nod my head. Yes. And you're in. I'm like, no, I'm really not in the boats. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm like, well, but a friend of mine who had graduated a year ahead of me, we ran hurdles together in, in high school. He had gotten an army four-year scholarship the year prior. So he was back for a visit. We got to talking and I, I tried out for that. I, I wound up hitting the deadline for the application and everything else that was falling in line. And, you know, things laid out that uh, I was fortunate enough to, to land one. So... So while I'm in college, a lot of my peers were saying, oh, dude, man, you know, you're going to graduate. You're going to be in the Army for four years. You know, that's going to suck and all this and all that. And I'm like, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, come graduation day, I had the next four years of my life all mapped out while they were trying to figure out what their next chapter would be. Uh, I met my wife, Mary, on a blind date while I was in college. Uh, she joined me in the journey. We celebrated our 46th wedding anniversary last April. Awesome. Uh, that that four-year commitment turned into 26 years of service. So, Yeah, so, I, know, I know a lot of people, they get done in, with college or high school, and they're like, well, what's next? And they don't yeah. have any idea. But you you already had that, like, here's what I'm doing, whether I like it or not. Yeah, and at least for four years, that gave me four more years to figure it out. 
yeah. and I found out that I kind of liked it. And I, you know, one, you know, one, one PCS moved to another place, translated into another. And, you know, 26 years later, it's like, wow. So some of the favorite things in the army, I guess, uh, we really did get a chance to meet a lot of really dear friends. We kind of stay in contact with them today. But uh, I like talking about the armies of the 70s. Uh, in Germany, it was just a wild experience. Uh, the army was recovering from Vietnam. We had drug and alcohol issues. We had soldiers that the judges said, well, you're either going to go to jail or you're going to go to the army. So we had some stellar dudes out there. Uh, so there's all, you know, out of Vietnam, there's a whole lot of trust issues among the officers and the NCO. So it was kind of, kind of crazy. Um, the over under on how we were going to hold up against the Warsaw Pact was likely not in our favor. So somewhere in the back of our mind, we're thinking, you know, how's this going to play out? And really, that's probably what kind of kept us together. We, we trained hard. We partied even harder. I was in a nuclear capable house battalion. And we figured if the Warsaw Pact attacked, we were probably going to be shooting those nukes. And that's probably why nothing really happened. The Warsaw Pact probably thought we were all crazy. They, they saw how we acted and everything. And they said, you know, yeah, yeah, th these are nuts. We're not going to go up against these folks. So unfortunately, nothing happened. Uh, our second tour of Germany is when the wall came down. So that was pretty cool to see the flood of everybody coming in from uh, East Germany and the West Germany. Uh, but then from an army perspective, we lost our competitor. What do we do now? Why, why are we training? What's going on? Well, hello, Desert Storm. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so, so we got selected to, uh, to go on down to the desert. I was in the 1st Army Division at the time, Iron Soldiers. Uh, and we were leading what historians are calling the left hook. And uh, our job was to destroy the Republican Guard. That was their elite forces. And, and we made that happen. And, and, and rather than go through a whole bunch of war stories and things like that, I'd like to make a tie-in with your listeners and this, this relentless positivity uh, concept. So we were three days into the ground war. We were making really historic progress. And then word started coming down that, okay, tonight, we want all of our leaders to get as much rest as you can. We want you on cots. We don't want you sleeping in your vehicles. You know, we want you to alert. Uh, the next morning, uh, we're going to start with a 45-minute artillery prep. Uh, well over a 1,000 rounds of artillery that our battalion alone was going to shoot. Uh, each one of those rounds would take out the size of a football field. So we're, we're fixing to do a lot of damage on there. So... We didn't know for sure if it was the start of the last day, but boy, it sure felt that way. It smelled that way. So now everybody is kind of processing that that night. Um, I changed my uniform, which meant I took off the sweaty one and I put on a dry one. You know, you're out there in the desert, so it's not like you got anything clean. Um, I didn't sleep on a cot. I, I just sat in my Humvee. I pulled out my rosary. And I started to pray. And, and partway through, I was just overwhelmed with this feeling of peace. Mm. Um, obviously, I wanted to get myself out of there. I wanted to get our unit back to Germany. Everybody get back to their families. We're going to do so safely. But if something were to happen to me, I, I really felt like I was going to be okay. Now, God may have been sitting up there shaking his head. You know, dude, you're being presumptuous, you know. <laughs> So you don't know what really was going to happen to me, but you felt peaceful. It's like, my gosh. And now I wasn't going to do anything stupid on that next day to get myself killed, you know, intentionally or anything like that. But I had this level of confidence that was beyond ever, anything I ever experienced. Uh, and then, yeah, the next morning I had all 24 my howitzers all lined up and we were blasting away for 45 minutes. And a couple hours later, sure enough, uh, the ground war was ended. So, uh, so uh, that, that took me through there. And then I went back to Germany. Uh, then I was brought back here to uh, uh, to the States. I started working at the Redstone Arsenal. 
Uh, and then eventually I got to the point where uh, it was time for me to retire. So uh, something maybe not everybody tends to think about uh, is that we're not always out in the field shooting at people and blowing things up. Uh, we have what's called a military occupation, especially MOS. So my primary was field artillery. That's when I'm blowing things up. But I had a secondary MOS in weapons acquisition. So when I was not in the 1st Armored Division, I was at places like Aberdeen Proving Ground and Redstone Arsenal here in Alabama, developing and testing weapon systems. And there's really cool opportunities uh, when you start taking some of these emerging opportunities and apply them to problems that the military is trying to solve. And even better, you see those technologies transition into everyday life. You know, where did microwaves come from? Where did GPS come from? Cell phone pictures. All that stuff emanated from military technology. So it's really kind of neat to, to be part of that. And just like interviewing for a job, you need a resume that describes your skills and experiences that some manager wants to have. Uh, so as I was transitioning from the Army, none of these managers asked me, hey, can you destroy a target 11 miles away without looking at it? You know, there, there's not a big demand for that, you know? So the whole weapons acquisition process, uh, serving as a manager, dealing with technologies, decision-making abilities, handling money, handling budgets and things like that, uh, landed me a pretty good job. And I did that for 10 years after I, I, I left the Army. And you had a you had a colorful career, career in the Army, then you have a great civilian career. How does that lead to you? Hey, I'm a, I think I should be a football official. Yeah, so uh, uh, I, I really served under some commanders that they really paid attention to individual development. And, and part of our annual performance reviews, they made it a point to talk about what are your goals, what are your objectives, and the Army pretty much had a plan laid out that there were certain schools you needed to go to, certain jobs you needed to have to make yourself competitive, to get promoted, to get certain jobs and things like that. So a lot of people call it punching the ticket, but there was some really a, a good laid out plan that if you want to be successful, this is what you want to do. So um, about a year before I, I retired, I started asking some of my peers that have retired before me, okay, so what are your goals? What are your objectives? And well, I want to increase profit by 5%. Ah, bullshit, come on. You know, <laughs> why do you get up in the morning? You know, it, it's got to be something more than that. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted to try to stay in shape. I wasn't going to go out running because I wanted to go running. The warranty on my knees expired a long time ago. So I, I you know, what do I do? Uh, so I stumbled across an ad in the newspaper that, you know, we need football officials. Are you interested? Show up Sunday and we'll take it from there. So you and my son, Mark, played together on the same high school football team. He was a walk-on at Elon College. Uh, and he graduated before I retired. And I no longer had football in my life. Yeah, I could watch it on TV and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't have any kind of vested interest in it. So the idea of becoming a football official seemed kind of intriguing. And as it turned out, I show up to find out that you, you, you start off as a level one official. And you're a level one official doing middle school games and things like that for about two years or so. And then you take a test, pass the test. Now you're level two. And then you're level two for like two or three years. And you're doing JV games and all that kind of stuff. And uh, maybe a couple of varsity games here and there. And then you take the test, pass the test. Now you're a level three. Now you qualify for, for playoffs and championship games and things like that. And there it was. Structure, goals. I embraced it. So, I, yeah, I, I really needed that. Now, Alabama has changed the process, but still it's pretty much there that you can map out a career uh, to get yourself going. And it's true. You just wanted to keep on shining shoes. Is that what it was? That, uh, that, that that's all part of it. There, there's some <laughs> discipline involved in that that uh, will translate back into the military that says, uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, you start taking pride in what you're doing out there because the kids are putting in time. The coaches are putting in time. And uh, uh, when you show up, they need to know that you're, you're prepared as well. So, yeah, that the whole shining shoes thing. 
Yeah, it's great. It's part of it. So, uh, how long you've been doing it? A lot of people know how many have you been? How many years you've been an official? I, I'm going into uh, my my 23rd year right now. Wow! So, so uh, uh, after all these, you've you've retired from a, a couple of careers. Why you still get up and get out there with these young kids out there running around the heat? Why you still do it? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of levels. Um, there's the National Federation of High School Activities (NFHS). It's kind of the high school equivalent NCAA. Uh, and they're the governing body of high school sports. So they did a study a couple of years ago that uh, settled in on, you know, those kids that are involved in sports and in high school activities tend to have higher GPAs. They're less likely to get into trouble and they tend to go off to college or do something and be successful from there. Um, there's plenty of life lessons that we all learn. Uh, how do we work with others? How do we deal with adversity? You know, you lost the game. You know, what the heck happened? But the sun came up the next morning anyway. You know, well, how are we going to correct these things? How do you work with each other? How do you respond to those successes as well as the failures? Physical, mental, emotional things. I mean, even when we were doing two-a-days back in high school football, you know, oh, man, this sucks. How does this work? I mean, now I'm in the Army and we're out in the desert and you're like, I'm going to embrace the suck, you know? <laughs> so it's like, man, you know, how did football translate into you know, combat operation and things like that? It just kind of built your mental toughness and physical toughness to do those sorts of things. So there's a lot of positive things that can happen there. Um, you know, maybe in the corporate world, you know, you, you lost this big contract you were going for. Well, now what do you do? Okay, well, why did we lose it? How do you break it down? and go after the next one and, 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 you know, you know, keep, keep on with the grind. Um, yeah. So, uh, so there's some value in those sports, uh, for the kids. Um, if there's no officials, there's no organized games and the kids are going to find something else to do on a Friday night. You know, they're going to be up on big savage mountain rolling beer bottles down there. You know, you know, why are you doing that? And whatever they're doing is probably not going to be the best for them. And uh, so, so we want to keep that going as much as we can. And then from the officials themselves, there's a whole lot of camaraderie that's going on. I, I do a lot of travel across the United States. I, I do some international travel every now and again. And once you come across another official, it, it's, they're your brother. They're your sister. You know, we all have the same bond, and, and it's it's a beautiful kind of a thing. We we embrace this whole mission of keeping the players safe, not keeping the games fair. You know, we we function as a team, and we depend on each other. You know, we'll have our stressful moments on the field on a Friday night. You know, maybe where there was a tough call that we're trying to work through. The crowd's going nuts, you know, yelling at us and everything. How do we get through that? So when I recruit military folks, I tell them, you know, it's quick decisions, under pressure, people yelling at you. It's like being in the Army again, you know? And, yeah, you get to shine your shoes. So, hey, you know, there you go. You get the, you get the whole package. Checks all the boxes. That's right. Yeah. So so there, there is a rush, there, and there is an accomplishment of getting it right. Um, and strangely enough, again, there's also a feeling of peace out there. So we... We arrive for a varsity game 90 minutes before game time, and we do our, our pre-game reviews. Yeah, we're going over rules, we're going over mechanics. But the other thing that we're doing is we're trying to purge all those things out of our mind that happened during the week. I had an argument with the wife. The boss is fixing the fire. Something, you know, my dog died. You know, I mean, just all these things, all these stresses that build up over the course of time. But we got three hours here where we got to focus on the kids. So but let's let's get all that out of our system. You get out on the field, and it's, oh man, it's Friday night lights. You know, you got the smell of the grass if you're on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a regular field, or maybe even the turf smells a little bit different that night. Uh, you got the crowds that are going crazy. The band is out there. You, you got the guy cooking burgers on the other side of the fence and all that stuff's blowing across. And then you get the national anthem, fireworks going off. It's, you know, it's, it might sound corny as Americana, but my gosh, it's there. The players are ready. They've been working all week. It's time for them to shine. And what are we doing? We're waiting for the next snap. 
nothing else matters. Peace. Oh man, whistles, <laughs> ready for play. Let's go. The play happens. You know, we we figure out what what we've got. We figure out what we're gonna do for the next play. You got forty seconds, twenty five seconds. Do your dead ball officiating. Get ready for the next snap. And then those couple of moments, peace. Kids lined up. Ball gets snapped. Let's do it again. So, right. yeah, you, you go through all that. Game's over. Teams gather in the middle, shake hands, hug each other, join in prayer. Uh, we officials leave the field. We critique ourselves. We identify what, what, what went well, what went wrong. We review film just like the teams do to see what we did right, what we did wrong, and we prepare for the next game. So it's pretty powerful. It's good for the soul. It's all part of this whole process of, you know, setting goals, setting objectives. You know, I just want to be the – best back judge that the kids have ever seen out on the football field. Um, so it, uh, yeah, that, that's why I keep doing this. Man, so, I can tell you still love it, man. Just the way you described it all. I can tell you still yeah. love it. Still after, after yeah. all these years. So, uh, so one, one of the most impressive things to me is you're out there running around with 15 to 18 year olds, keeping up with them. What do you do for your fitness? How are you keeping up with these kids that are 50 years younger than you? Yeah, I, I just turned 69. So I, uh, uh, a lot of people are impressed. Wow, you're still doing this? Well, yeah, it's uh, uh, it, so it, it's fundamentally a lifestyle decision. Um, yeah, after 26 years of the Army expecting us to to be in some kind of physical shape, uh, uh, we, we do have an issue of alcoholism that runs in my family, so that's a demon I need to watch for. And, and if somebody sees me drinking beer, wine, whatever, someplace, yeah, I still do, Okay. But you have to try to kind of keep that in check. Um, I'm not that guy you're going to see out running at four o'clock in the morning, you know, just like the army had me doing. I was never really disciplined to set aside time to go to the gym. And, and really in the army, uh, you, you, you value that family time when you're at home. And leaving during the day just to go to the gym was something that Mary and I didn't want to do. And I wanted to spend time with Mark and Leah. So I would always have some kind of weight machine or something in the basement. So I was always used to the garage gym sort of sort of a thing there. Um, so I try to stay active in some way. You know, I, I, I listened to your book, Relentless Positivity. And one of the things that uh, really hit me was even when you're doing something is, you know, sitting around watching TV. Get up every hour for like five minutes or something and walk around and, and do something rather than just sitting there. Uh, so I, I'm almost like a shark. I got to be active in, in some way like that. You know, if I can use the steps instead of an elevator, I do that. I prefer to mow my own lawn. That's usually about three or four miles of pushing the mower. Uh, I, I keep equipment in my garage. So I do workouts whenever I, I want to. And it might just be a 15 minute workout. Or it might be a two hour workout. However motivated I feel or, or you know, you know, how hot it might be or something like that. Um, uh, Mark uh, wound up becoming a certified trainer. Uh, my daughter, Leah, is certified to work with seniors. So they give me equipment. They give me techniques. They're appropriate for my age. Uh, so I'm not doing anything stupid. I got away from free weights a long time ago uh, because my wife would be a terrible spotter. And I didn't want to go with, you know, couple hundred pounds sitting on my throat so i just kind of use machines use those stretching things that uh that, that give me the kind of exercise that i need without breaking anything so yeah um but now you do, a, keep, you do a great job man if, if you guys are listening right bob's a specimen if you look at most <laughs> people that are 69 and compared to bob it's yeah. he, he can hang with people 30 40 years younger than him and he's out running around with teenagers all the time so i mean yeah. You, yeah. you're you're your fitness hero for sure i want to yeah, be like right. you when i grow up <laughs> now there's a, a psychological thing that's playing into this as well uh so my granddaughter gianna uh she's a high school tennis player and she was a competitive dancer for a little while probably the most intense workouts I ever saw was watching gianna when she was in competitive dance talk about athletes and, and you know you go you see their recitals and all that kind of stuff and you know they're elegant they're beautiful and all that kind of stuff but man 
you know, talk about leg power and endurance and all that kind of stuff. She's got it. <laughs> uh, you know, my grandson, Jackson, he's in youth baseball, basketball. He's going to try out for the middle school football team this year. Mark's kids are younger. They're, they're just beginning to get in, involved in youth activities and things like that. But they see me. Uh, you know, they see some of the stereotype grandparents and things like that who unfortunately uh, can't get around quite as well and all that sort of a thing. And, uh, you know, you, you just wonder back in the, in the, in the backs of their mind, you know, the, 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 does that have to be that way? Um, so I, 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 so I kind of pay attention to that. Uh, and, and really, I, I think I've been blessed with some good genes. Um, so I just need to make, you know, make the most of those blessings that I've got. So I kind of hope that it, it helps them uh, be inspired to try to help have a healthy lifestyle too and say, you know, thank you for the compliment. You know, I kind of like to be that guy, not that, that guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, your both your kids are in the fitness world. The grandkids are probably going to see the same thing. They keep it going. So you, you set yeah. the path. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I, uh, I do, I do go for some professional help. Uh, right now I do therapeutic yoga. Didn't know there was such a thing. And I, I came across Sarah Cummins here in the Huntsville area and waterfall yoga. She does some online things. So, you know, shout out to, to her about what she's doing, but it augments my workouts and it helps take care of those aches and pains without going to the pills and without going to other things. So I, uh, uh, the only medication I've been taking, uh, started about a year ago was I just take some blood pressure medicine, low level doses, things like that. The doctor's like, Oh, let's keep it going. So i uh, uh, so I've been blessed. I'm not uh, depending on some of those drugs and things like that. So that's that's cool. So you you've been a ref for 23 years. What's some of the craziest things you've seen over the years? Because I've seen I've been coaching football about 15. I've seen some wild things. But you've seen much more games than me. So what have we, yeah. what have you seen? Yeah, it. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the the things that that tend to come to mind, and it's almost like being in the military. You just kind of remember those, you know. I had a howitzer run over a Volvo and I, I told the driver he could go ahead and drive. And so it, it kind of came back on me. So that, that that's, that's something that's like, Oh, and actually there was a leadership lesson in there someplace, but uh, out on the football field, we'll, we'll tend to remember those things that we messed up or things that was, was like, you know, th this game is getting out of control. The fans are going nuts. The coaches are going crazy. Um, so I'd rather not, not go there on, on this. I, I really want, to just embrace watching these kids, these young athletes that they, they can do things that uh, we thought we could do back in the day. You know, I was a 150 pound guard in 1971 and I was fast. Guards today, twice the size of what I was and faster than what I was. It's ridiculous, and, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a thing of beauty and, and we get the, the opportunity to to officiate games and see some of these kids go off to college and even some of them into the NFL. And it's just really neat to, to kind of be a part of that. Um, and you see something, you know, with some of these skilled players, some of these things you can do. I mean, your son is a prime example. Of that. My gosh, you know, I was never a basketball guy, but when I think back of some of the, you know, the star players we had in high school and, and I see what B is doing, it's like, it's a different world. It's amazing. And For sure. Look at this. So I, uh, so that's pretty cool. I do have one story though. Um, so we need to protect the officials on the field. And, and if a player intentionally hits an official, 15 yard penalty, disqualified, ejected from the game, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I was officiating a women's semi-pro tackle football game. And, and I threw a flag against the offense. So we're walking the penalty off and things like that. Uh, the safety comes up to me, slaps me on the backside. Good call, ref. I, I, I can't throw a flag on that, you know? And, and I guess in this day and age, if somebody says, well, you know, I'm being sexist or something like that, I was not going to report to, to the crew. 
that we need to eject this girl because she patted a combat veteran on his butt. <laughs> no, that nope, no flag. We we have the discretion about using judgment on the field. Yeah. No flag. <laughs> hey, sounds like in that instance you did something called get it right. Segway, Bob, be ready for that. So in 2012, you started your company, Get It Right. Tell, tell people what that is and what you guys offer. Yeah, so it uh, it's a program that provides digital simulations to help football officials understand what to look for in the rules. Um, uh, when you know, What's your thought process to determine whether we have a safety issue or somebody's gaining an advantage? And, and how do we look at that? How do you break down the actions of a player? And also we need to pay attention to where you need to be on the field, where you need to be looking relative to the other officials on the field, the other 22 players. We got a play clock, a game clock. We got a chain, we got a ball, all these moving parts we have to keep track of. <clears throat> so as I was retiring, the Army was just getting into 3D digital simulations to facilitate training. You know, there are simply times when you need to have a major field exercise, you know, uh, let's prepare to attack a rat. You, you just don't go to any place and go, let's put 500,000 soldiers here and do a rehearsal. So simulations were starting to come into play. Um, and the company that I, I went to work for, I uh, had a team of folks that were involved in doing some of these simulations. So I... Um, I wound up, you know, making friends with some of those folks and we started talking about, hey, I wonder if we can't do the same thing to help train officials because there's really kind of a complicated way that we would do it. And they said, sure, we could do that. But the company, of course, was not ready to go into a commercial venture. So after about 10 years of doing that, uh, I broke off and I thought, well, let me go ahead and, and give it a try. Uh, so 2012, we formed Get It Right. In uh, 2016, we had what was called the uh, minimum viable product, and we started getting out doing sales. So we wound up having a couple of clients in all 50 states and 16 countries. Um, American-style football is, is played in 60 countries across the world. 2018, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. I made a pitch to them, and they bought the program, so that was pretty cool. So... So yeah, that uh, uh, and people—it's—it's it's slow in coming. Uh, you're kind of introducing a technology that uh, nobody has been using uh, over the years and years that people have been officiating. Uh, so it's—it's it's been a while, but there's like over 750 rules in the high school rulebook. Uh, so it'd be kind of overwhelming to grasp those. Uh, it needs to be written in legalese because uh, we do have. Uh, Parents, schools, somebody that was upset about how a, a game went out, and they say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna take you to court," and uh, the judge will sit there and he'll look at the rule book. Well, is this what you did? Yes. Well, then get out of here. You know. Yeah. So uh, uh, it, it can be a challenge to to get that, but this whole idea of visual learning is real, uh, and, and that kind of helps them do it. So I'm the vice president of training for a local football officials association. I, I'm really focusing on our rookies, and a lot of them are buying the program, so they're able to pick up the rules a whole lot quicker. And it's a way for us to get in reps, just like players. You know, what, you know, why do they practice? Why do they want to do things over and over and over? You know, like Nick Saban says, not so they can get it right, but make sure they don't get it wrong. And uh, we don't have the luxury of going out and asking players to do certain actions, especially unsafe actions, over and over, just so we can train our brains to what it looks like. So now an official can sit in his comfort of his home, on his laptop, and, and watch things like chop blocks, clipping, horse collars, and all that kind of stuff uh, without anybody getting hurt. So that when we see it on a Friday night, our brain is trained and we can respond quickly to do that. And, and more importantly, when we start picking up trends, that a player is about to do something, we can do what's called a, you know preventive officiating and talk to that player or talk to the coach and go, watch how he's doing this because he's either going to back you up 15 yards 
or he's going to get hurt or another player's going to get hurt. And we can take care of that. And then yeah. the coaches can use that as well. So they can kind of teach our players that if you're getting outrun and, and the only thing you can do is reach up and grab that runner by the collar, go ahead and do it. It's not a horse collar until you pull him back or to the side. Right. Grab a hold of him, slow him down, fall forward. Everything's fine. You're not going to have a flag. So there's a lot of things that you can do with the officials and a lot of things that coaches can do as well. Yeah. I've noticed the past few years, I know concussions have been a big thing. Referees done a great job about, hey, quit lowering that head. You know, you're going to hurt yourself and somebody else. They've done a great job about that, cleaning the game up. Uh, people are very worried about that, but the game has gotten so much safer because I know when I was growing up, you put your face mask right in there, right? <laughs> put your head down, be a billy goat, you know, headbutt that guy and take him down. Um, great way to tackle somebody if you want to hurt both of yourselves. I mean, they're going to yeah. go down for sure. But, you know, yeah. teaching teaching kids more of the wrap-up style and these types of things has made the game a lot safe. Taking the head completely out of the tackle has been a big part. So people that are worried about the safety of the game, the refs are doing a great job. Clean it up, and it, it filters down to the high schools and the middle schools and, and down from there. They're making it safer with stuff like get it right because they can show this stuff. And now you've actually gotten in where the high schools are taking you up on something. What are the high schools doing with your product now? Yeah, that, uh, that's our next big move. And I don't know how well you can see things back here, but I've got one of my white heads back there wearing the Oculus goggles. Uh, we, uh, since I use digital technology, uh, we could have gone into virtual reality a long time ago, but we could never answer that question, why? Got to have that why. And, and once we found out that you can project what that person is seeing inside the goggles onto a TV or a monitor or a projector. Now you have a training opportunity here. So, uh, so we, we have a virtual reality program uh, for the referees uh, where you can get onto the field and, and go over eight different plays, eight different scenarios that we got. Uh, uh, the nice thing about that helps us when, uh, especially on, you know, on the college side of things, where officials are spread out all over the place. And the only time they might get together is Friday night before a game. And how do you build relationships like that? How do you interact like that? Well, now they can be sitting in the comfort of their home, slap on the goggles and talk to each other over a distance. We did a demonstration last year at the National uh, Association of Sports Officials Conference up in Denver, where I had a guy on stage wearing the goggles uh, we had an official in Kentucky, one in California, and one in Mexico, all officiating the same play at the same time on the same virtual field. Now we're migrating that into the, the teens world where, yeah, you, you, you may have kids sitting at home looking at film, uh, looking at photos or something like that. Now we can give them something fun where they can put on the goggles, be on the field, talk to their friends talk to the coach and get in those reps so that it says, Hey, if we see this defense do, do this, what's our response or the defensive guys have the goggles on. If we see the offense come out like this and this five-star running back is over here, how are we going to adjust before the ball is snapped? So they get in the opportunity to get in some reps. Uh, coaches, you know, part of keeping the player safe is, uh, Coaches and teams are restricted as to the amount of time they're allowed to be on the field, the amount of contact they're allowed to have. And yet we expect them to perform safely and efficiently on Friday night. This gives them the opportunity to get in those reps, takes care of the mental game. Coaches can make sure that they're ready physically, and then we take it from there. Oh, yeah. I know from a coach's standpoint, the less they have to think out there, it's so much better. If it's just that muscle memory, they can do it right away. Man, that makes – especially on defense. I coach a lot of defense. If they can just react and not think, man, they're playing so much faster and more efficient. So, And it's really cool. If you guys are familiar with Madden football, it's like Madden football just like that. Picture that, and they got these different scenarios that go over. It's amazing, especially in the headset. Makes it yeah. – I mean, you're, you're right there. So um, I know one thing, you're always looking for more officials. So who is kind of a good fit? You talked about military guys. Who's else a good fit, and how would they get started? Yeah, that um, – uh... Do you love the sport? I mean, I was, you know, trying to fill a gap of, uh, you know, football no longer being in my in my life. And, uh, you know, I just kind of stumbled into officiating. So 
may, maybe you play the sport. Uh, we have high school athletes that are that are pretty good. You know, I, my graduating class had 189 kids in it. Uh, I don't know what that translates now. You know, it could be a you know a one A school or a two A school, something like that here in Alabama. And even though I went to a Division three school, uh, there was no way I could compete there. A 150 pound guard in Division three, you know, even back in the 70s, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but if I if I had known about officiating then, I could have stayed on the field and get paid, you know? So that's kind of pretty cool too. <laughs> so do you love this sport? Uh, do you like to be involved? Uh, would you like to help foster a positive environment for kids? Every so often in between snaps, I have the opportunity to talk to kids out there on the field. How are you doing? I look good. Hey, are you a senior? Yeah, are you looking about going to college? You know, are you enjoying your senior year? Just just interacting with the kids is just a beautiful thing. Um, male, female, we need you all both. And maybe you can't move around as well as you used to. Volleyball, tennis, I'm not picking on them. They sit for the entire match. Can you move your head back and forth? All right, we got this. Um, uh, and, and you can make a difference. You, you really can. Um, how do you get involved? Uh, find your local association, go to my website, getitrighttraining.com, hit contact us and say, hey, your, your program looks cool, but you know, I'd like to get into baseball. Can you get me hooked up with baseball? Yeah, I've got friends. I can get you in touch with whatever state association you need to get involved with. Uh, and you're going to be embraced. Uh, there's a shortage out there. We're doing our best to put uh, good people out there. We need your help. Uh, we work within your schedule. Uh, I, I've got a niece that's going to get married in October. You know, so I tell my assigner, I'm going to be gone these days. So they're not going to assign me a game there. So there's a lot of flexibility involved. Yeah, so, hey, uh, love them or hate them, without the officials, the game doesn't happen, right? So we need some people out there on the field. Uh, like I said, you get paid to be out there as well, and you got that brotherhood and a sisterhood going that keep that going. So if you're used to being part of a team, whether it's sports or military or law enforcement or something like that, it's a great opportunity to keep that going and keep that camaraderie. Because a lot of guys that I've you know played sports with and that were in the military, that's what they miss the most is that you know being part of a – a group that's doing that, that combined effort going the same direction. So that's a big part. And you can be a part of that through officiating. Yeah. And, and all these guys that gals that they go to the gym and they're lifting weights and they're running and do all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I guess it's a goal that you know, I want to be able to bench press, whatever. I want to be able to run as fast as whatever. And, and, and God bless you. Keep that up because it's keeping you going, but let's go ahead and apply that to something else that we call officiating. Get on out there. The kids are going to see you and go, wow, you know, th this is pretty good. You know, and it gets kind of gets back to why, you know, my motivation is stay in shape. I'm not going to have some 17-year-old beat me to the goal line on a Saturday. <laughs> now, I've got a 25-yard 25 25 head start on them, uh, but but still, and, and yeah, and they still beat me anyway. Uh, but, some of these, yeah, some of these I, kids are amazing. Yeah, you give me a fifty, yeah. and they still, they still get me. So, uh, <laughs> hey, what, what's next for Get It Right? What's, what's next? For, what do you see coming in the future? Yeah, that that's the big thing right now is uh, we're trying to refine how to do this uh, this virtual reality uh, to help out the teams. Uh, there's some interesting technologies that are out there waiting for us. Uh, it kind of goes back to what I was doing in the military and how the military technologies can translate into the, the civilian world. Uh, uh, so yeah, the virtual reality is just the beginning of all this. So uh, we'll, we'll get that going. We'll try to get a couple of schools using that. Uh, I think there's some advantages that we can even offer at, at game time. Uh, so it's just exciting to see how all this, how all this plays out. So yeah, check us out, getitrighttraining.com. Yeah. Uh, we have a, uh, yeah, and even if you're thinking about becoming an official, I've got uh, a YouTube channel, Get It Right Enterprises. I put a lot of my football training videos on there. If you want to see how we train officials, you know, the language that we use, you know, how we, you know, view things and that kind of stuff. It's like, wow. And oh, by the way, things on the field look a whole lot different 
than what they look like when you're up in the stands or what they look like when you're on TV. And it's great. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. This is an amazing technology. You got to check this stuff. Go to that website, at least just see what he's talking about. It, it's really hard to describe. You really kind of got to see it and experience it. It's amazing stuff. And I can't wait to see where it's going. So, hey, Bob, thank you. Thank you so much for your service, first of all. And then second okay. of all, you, you continue to serve our community as a referee and a man in the community. You're doing so much good. Appreciate you being out there and spreading that positivity. So keep, keep it up, man. I appreciate you. All right, Joe. Appreciate it. Honor being part of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. And if you're listening right now, please share this episode. Help us get the word out about Get It Right, about making the game safer, making the game. We need more officials. We need to get that message out there. And then just, hey, Bob's life story. Just think about that. Kind of pretty humble beginnings. You know, eight kids on a mailman Saturday up here, retired bird, current full bird, colonel, pretty awesome life out there making a difference every day. Uh, share the word and keep spreading the positive. We appreciate y'all being an opportunity to come out here and serve you each week. And we'll see you next time. Wow, what a great episode. You share that with somebody. I'm going to share with you some awesome sponsors. McWilliams Marketing. They can help your business grow. Regardless of the size of the project, you're going to get a solution that is specifically created for you and your business. No cookie cutter, one size fits approach here. So Amy and her band of fearless marketers can help you with all that stuff that you think you can do, but you're not really that good at it. You don't have time for it. They can do that. They're the experts. It's what they do. Web design, online conversion, optimization, SEO, uh, graphic design, marketing, page management, all that stuff. Go let them do that. Don't handle that yourself. Go check them out at mcwilliamsmarketing.com. See what all they can do. They're amazing people. Teak Patnick with Patnick Realty. He really does it all in the real estate world. General real estate sales, acquisitions, property management, investments, all that good stuff. You're not just a transaction with Teak. He really wants to build a relationship for life with you. He has built his whole business on prayer, hard work ethic, honesty, and results. You can trust Patnick Realty with all your real estate needs. Hey, I trust my brother from another mother, Teak, and you should too. Give him a call, 256-694-0117, or email him at teak at patnickco.com. Embrace the power of visual learning. Are you a football referee, a coach, a player, a fan? Would you want to see the game from the perspective of officials on the field? Do you want a better understanding of the rules? Get It Right provides 3D simulations and virtual reality to learn the game and get invaluable reps from the comfort of your home. Go to GetItRightTraining.com. Train today for a better game tomorrow. Over the past four years, Valley Leadership Academy has established a reputation for being the ideal alternative to traditional schools by providing an excellent education along with real-life leadership and service opportunities. Now is your chance to come alongside them and help them grow to the next level. Please visit valleyleadershipacademy.org to find out about personal and corporate sponsorships that will help this remarkable school grow in an even brighter spot in Huntsville. Together, we can make a difference. Hey, these are awesome businesses. Go support them. They're out supporting positivity and they will do you right. Have an awesome day.